You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and um, we're going to walk through a really interesting, and I would say somewhat complex passage. Um, Complex just because I I think it's going to take us into a place that's different than what you would expect um, you know, like if, you, if you're not really super familiar with a lot of the teachings of Christianity, or even if you've been raised in it in your life with certain kinds of teachings, you would assume that what the whole thing is about is like, all right, here's some things to believe and here's some stuff to do. So get with it, you know, get with doing the right stuff. And that that's where most of the focus is going to fall on. Um, today, what we're going to do is we're going to be focused on the second half of chapter seven. Although I really wish we had time to talk about the first half uh, of this chapter because um, the big idea there was, and, and it's going to be basically be defended here in this half uh, of the chapter today, is that uh, the Apostle Paul's making a case that, look, um, the law is good, God's commands. He's re- specifically referring to the part of the Old Testament that has a lot of the commands about here's how to relate with one another, here's how to relate with God as God's covenant people. And so the law is good. However, um, what, what ends up happening is we interact with God's commands, and I would say by extension, even other kinds of principles and best practices and, and uh, different, uh, different kinds of rules that exist, is the problem isn't with the rules, but the problem is with what our heart and um, basic, the basic pattern of sin that's in our heart, how we interact with those, that's where the whole problem is. He's going to defend that idea. And I think a lot of us probably do think that, um, that really if we knew the right things about God and if we knew the right things to do and if we knew the things to not do, that everything would go great. That the problem is just that we don't know. Uh, but that's just not true. Um, I'll give you an example. I'll start really practical. And then as we go on through like with something from everyday life, but then uh, we're going to get into more heart issues as we go on. So, you know, my mom, I would let myself in um, at home after school when I was a little kid. And, you know, my mom would say, because she was still working, she would say, hey, look, uh, don't eat a bunch of cereal and junk food. Um, It'll run dinner. And don't just sit around and watch TV the whole time. Um, now, what do you think I wanted to do? Um, those are that, can we agree? Those are actually like pretty good laws. Um, we could agree that I don't think there's a whole lot of nutrition pathways that uh, have you know incredible um, incredible futures for nutrition and growth and health uh, for eating basically nothing but sugar and sitting down and watching binge watching Scooby Doo and Looney Tunes and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know that that's necess- most people would agree. The loads of screen time is not good for um, a lot of different kinds of emotional health and everything else. Uh, and a kid, good good rules. But as soon as mom said, don't eat cereal and don't be watching lots of TV, um, what do you think is the very thing that I wanted to do when I got home? First thing, I mean, I would, I would unlock that door and I'd walk right on and start the TV while I prepared my cereal. Um, and just because they said not to, it seemed like the very thing that I wanted to do. So, um, so the thing is, is there can be rules that are good, but, um, but then what we end up doing with those is just really interesting. And I would even just add one more thing on a, on a general level. I would say the most common sermon that I hear, and this is both from developing younger preachers here at Redeemer, but also other churches um, that I'll visit or hear sermons from and, and whatever, is a bunch of very true sermons that are, um, okay, so here's a topic, money, sex, anything. It could be whatever. It could be any topic or even a passage. And um, the basic idea of the sermon is, hey, here's this thing that you need to do, and here's some stuff that you need to not do. And so let's get to it. Get with it. You need to start giving money. You need to start saving money. You need to start, uh, stop doing this and start doing that, whatever the topic is. And I would say generally pretty true. 
And then it might get to the end of the sermon and you might have someone say, hey, but you, you know, you, some of you have a bigger problem than you are not handling, handling human sexuality in a God-honoring way or handling your money in a God-honoring way. And that's that you've never met um, God and his grace through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So you need to believe in Jesus. And, um, and, then, and then, but for the rest of you guys, uh, seriously, quit overspending and give money and um, quit doing dumb things and whatever the topic is, right? And so you can almost get the impression that grace is how you get in, but then the rest of the Christian life is kind of doing the stuff and obeying the rules and having good principles and disciplines and practices, and, and you just kind of do that until you get to heaven. And so I think there's limits and problems with this. I think today what we're going to see is that rules and commands, they have their place, but there's also limits to it on what they can do. And specifically, that these things don't change the heart is going to be the real problem that we're going to see. So what I'm going to do is we're going to start in verse 13. And um, basically what I'm going to do is imagine me on the top of a ski mountain. And um, I, we're, I, we're going to just read this together, including the few verses that were read a moment ago. And I'm just going to make some quick turns. And I'll make a turn. I'm just going to point out a couple of things. And I'm going to keep, hopefully, make good progress down the mountain. And so you have a feel for um, exactly the case that's being made here that may surprise you, especially maybe you were raised in church and it wasn't a good experience for you. And uh, you may be surprised that there's a very different message of Christianity than maybe what you assumed. So here we go. Verse 13, um, which is going to in some ways defend how Paul could say in the first 12 verses that you'll read if you're doing a reading plan with us this week of while the law is good, but sin is the problem in us. He's going to defend that here. Verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? And he's talking about the law and God's commands. Like, because the commands are good. They show us how human beings flourish and um, how to relate with God and, and how we should relate with one another too. That's a good thing, right? Well, um, he answers the question then is that uh, no, by no means. That's, we've seen that phrase a few times already in Romans where uh, it's as emphatic as it gets in the Greek language. You know, heck no, um, absolutely not that the law is good. The law itself doesn't bring death. But here he specifies, it was sin producing death in me through what was good, right? So the law is good, but sin is alive in me. And that's the problem in order that uh, sin might sh- be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful full beyond measure. Um, I want to take a break real quick. I want to show you a graphic, if we can go back to that graphic, and we'll come back to this scripture. I've shown this the last several weeks because I think this is really important to understand the case he's making. The numbers by each of these words here is the chapter in Romans, and um, we're right smack in the middle of a longer argument that the apostle Paul is making about what happens at conversion. You belong to an old realm, and you've been transferred to a new realm. In the old realm, Adam and sin and death, and you see the law, chapter 6, it was introduced, but this is all what it's about in chapter 7. That was the old realm that dominated you, and the law was good, uh, but there was limits to it, right? Um, And then the flesh also, and then we've been transferred into the new realm that's dominated by Christ and righteousness and um, eternal life and then grace. Grace is the thing that's going to be the contrast to law here and, um, and then the spirit as well. That'll come up a lot in chapter 8. And so I just want you to see here that the law, the law was good, but it was unable to save and unable to change. That was the big point. And we needed something else. We needed grace to be able to take us to this, to the, this realm where Christ is. Verse 14, it says, for we know that the law is spiritual. So it's good, right? The law is good. There's a lot of good principles there. But the problem is me. I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. 
Now, this is about to get confusing. You're going to have to hang with this because uh, it's about to have a lot of, I do the thing I don't want to do, and I don't do the thing I do want to do, but just track with it. I think you may really relate. This feels very authentic in my experience as well. It's like, I don't know why. Do you ever say something and you're like, I would like to put a retraction in? Is that possible? I know I just said that, but I would like to have a formal retraction of that thing I just said. Or, um, or maybe last night, you know, you're like, man, I know where all that leads, and yet I went there again. And um, I don't know why. Like, it's so destructive. I hate how I feel after all that. Or uh, our spending, I don't know why. Like, I just impulsively buy And then, I mean, it was fun for like two seconds, and then I end up in this terrible spot. Like, I don't understand what I do, and I know these principles, and I know the right thing to do, but then I don't want to do it. I want to go eat that cereal and watch Scooby-Doo is what I want to go do. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that. So, um, but you see the point. I don't understand my own actions. I I do not do what I want, but uh, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, because that's the force that we don't account for, right? For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not, listen to this, this might be the thesis of the whole thing, but not the ability to carry it out. So I know the right thing. Somebody taught me well. They said, do this, don't do this. Uh, we, we clean the dishes. Um, we, um, we stay away from these bad things. We don't lie. Like the, all those things are good, but th- what about the ability to carry it out, um, to obey God and to love God in the right way, the full direction that the law was taking you to? Uh, verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is, the, is what I keep on doing. So I want to do the good, but the thing I keep doing is I keep doing the evil. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but, uh, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that I, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So if some of you feel like you're doing the Christian life wrong, and maybe you had some people that taught you, like, hey, man, I gave my life to Jesus, and, and then I never lusted again. It was incredible. Like I just prayed and never had that struggle. And, you know, I, I struggled with alcohol and I committed my life to Jesus. I never wanted to touch another drop. And if that is your story, like I'm really grateful. Like consider yourself like a stage four cancer, um, like curee, you know, like where God cured you like that. That's incredible. That's a miracle. If God just takes away the desires, my experience has been is that no lust is right there with you. And you're going to think about um, hitting that bottle maybe the rest of your life when you wake up every day and when you feel stress and, and different things like this. And this is what he's saying is like, like I, I want to I do what's right, but I just feel like I'm just constantly torn and there's this internal battle all the time. I want to do right and I want to trust God. I want to do the right stuff and yet evil's there and I keep doing dumb stuff. And ah, you know, you can almost, you can almost hear that. That's the overall passage is, ugh, what is wrong? What is wrong with me? And the answer is sin, you know? You might, you're not doing it wrong. Like this is, this is the Christian life, is that kind of struggle. Uh, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see the members, my hands, my eyes, my ears, my feet. Um, I see my members, my mind, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he's kind of making a play on the word law and saying I have these, this, something else going on inside of me that even though I've been transferred from the realm of sin and death to the realm of grace, there's something else that's still alive in me. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's a great question. And his answer triumphantly is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with, the law, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. 
Okay, so he's saying, what, how am I going to get out of this? And it's only through the grace of Jesus. All right, now here's the thing. There's, there's people that see the identity of the I uh, on this passage when Paul says, I don't do the things I wish I did, and I sometimes do evil even though I want to be doing the good thing with my mind. I want to do the right thing, but my members, my mind, my, eye, my eyes, my hands, my feet um, end up doing something different. There are people that see this different ways, and I don't think we need to be afraid of this. And I think you have two major options for the identity of the I um, on this. So let's just look at these. The first one is um, that this is a um, a pre-Christian that Paul's describing even his own pre-Christian experience, or anyone that has not yet committed their life to Jesus. That's maybe a devout Jew in particular. So here's and these are good cases here. Here's three reasons why you might see it this way. One is that um, you're sold under sin in verse 14. It feels a little bit too strong for Christian experience from what we learned about in Romans 6, that we were transferred from the realm of sin and the flesh and the law and, and all that to the realm of grace, is that the right way to talk about someone who currently is a Christian? A second reason in verse 22 is uh, uh, the mind um, that loves the law. That Couldn't that be a devout Jew? Couldn't it have been Paul even before he was converted? Wouldn't he have said he loves the law and um, that, that, he, uh, that he loved it and he appreciated it even before he met the grace of God through Jesus uh, via his death and resurrection that was applied to Paul's heart. Couldn't a a devout Jew say that? Uh, Point three is the language in verse 24. Um, Isn't that a little bit stronger than Christian frustration when he's like, "Uh, who's going to rescue me? Isn't this someone like crying out for salvation here more so than um, struggle in the Christian life? Good cases all. Um, Here's another way to look at it. Um, The case for I being Christian experience. Uh, Four reasons why. Uh, One, um, boy, this sounds a lot like my Christian life right here. It really does, and I bet like yours. Like I wake up in the morning, and I know I need to meet with God. I know I need that. I know I need to see who he is. But man, like I'm down with coffee in the morning, but um, what it means to like connect with God is, you know, six in the morning, I come like walking through there, rubbing my eyes, and what it means to meet with God is vulnerability for God saying, hey, I want to talk about that. Like that thing you're holding on to right there is killing you and it's dishonoring me and, and, and all this. And, and like there's a vulnerability of opening up every part of my life to God. Um, that's not necessarily fun or easy. And I have to like concentrate and concentrate on who he is and read things in the Bible and even reflect on those things. And it takes some work and thought. And again, it's six in the morning and the coffee and all that. And, and so like, like I want to connect with him, but I don't want to connect with him. And I want to obey him and trust him in areas of my life, and then I don't want to. Like I'm not constantly in a power struggle with God for who's calling the shots, and maybe you can relate with that. Um, second one, Calvin said hundreds of years ago, you know, non-believers are not aware of the spiritual struggle. If you're not a Christian, I bet you don't wake up every day and be like, oh man, I need to be, um, I ought to be trusting God with this, and I, I know that this is a dead end here from what the scriptures say, and um, you may not feel any tension at all. In fact, you, you may feel like you're living your best life right now, living life the way that you want to live it. Um, would a non-Christian have a sense of that kind of spiritual struggle internally? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Uh, point three, verses 22 and 25 seem to indicate um, that there, there's an inner law in their mind and like there's another, another new reality and uh, value system internally. How would an, like an unspiritual, unsaved, un, uh, pre-Christian person, how would they be able to say that in a true and fair way? Number four is the Greek grammar um, is interesting, is that it's first person, uh, it's first person present tense, not past tense. If he was talking about his pre-conversion experience, wouldn't he have said, I used to, and this was me, but now here's this other thing. So here's the thing. 
here's the case I'm going to make, is that I'm not sure that I, whether it's pre-Christian or as a Christian in the experience, that I'm not sure it's the main point, because I think the main point of all of this is that the law and commands and best practices and principles can never deliver us from our spiritual condition, and they can't change us. That's the main point that we should be taking away from this. Um, However, that if you're like, yeah, okay, fair enough, it's not the main point, but you probably need to make a, make a stance on this, tentatively, and by the way, I think you need to get comfortable with this when you're reading the Bible and you start realizing that there are like good arguments for two different positions, that it shouldn't freak you out and be like, well, maybe nothing's true, you know, uh, maybe, maybe we can't actually know what's true here. Well, it's okay, it's okay that you can make a stance and say, hey, there's actually real merit to saying that this was um, Paul, um, you know, as a, as a pre-Christian. Um, but I, here's where I like very tentatively um, gently land on this is that I think the best explanation here in my mind is as a Christian experience. And some of that is even my own experience um, that, that this feels a lot like what I experience like on the daily. Uh, but I do think that those reasons that were listed there make a lot of sense to me <clears throat> that it felt really encouraging for me to think, Jesus, rescue me, um, that I, I have this tension all the time, and I make bad choices, and I do things that I wish I didn't do, but will you enter in, enter into that space and help me, help me with that? And, and so this main point is really where I want to center on, though. Regardless of where you could see it the totally different way, and you would agree that the main point is the law can't change, and there's limits to commands. So here's the thing. I want to get practical from the rest of this sermon. Um, so, you know, here's what I think. I think a lot of us are trying to motivate ourselves and motivate our children, and motivate others through the law. And I've told you pastors can be really prone to it already about, hey, you ought to start this and this and this and this and step it up, pick it up. You ought to be doing better. And we can tend to motivate. And here's the thing. I think that law and commands and best practices and principles have their place. That you are sadly mistaken if you boil all this whole um, Romans 7 down to say, you know what, we don't need any rules. Let's just live a ruleless life and live by grace, whatever that means, and everybody do what they want to do. Um, it really won't work well in almost any sphere, and it's not even the point. Remember, Paul said that laws and commands of God are good. They're good for your flourishing. They're actually good. The problem is internal. Uh, but the problem is, is I think a lot of us expect these principles to do more than the Bible says that they'll do, and we tend to stop there. So I'm going to give you an example, and the one I'm going to use um, predominantly is going to be parenting. And before, uh, before any college or high school age, uh, people in here are like, well, how am I supposed to relate with that? I'm not parenting anybody. All right, well, uh, just, just think about your relationship with your parents, all right? And um, whenever you go home for Christmas and they say, hey, and you know, let us know when you're, you know, you're going to be coming in and uh, text us and, or whatever. And you're like, God, this is so dumb. And you know, whatever. Can we see your grades? What? I'm an adult and whatever. You're like, yeah, but I'm paying for that. But anyways, um, you're, you're experiencing the other end of this coin, actually, about good principles that you don't want to do. So anyways, just think about it from that end if, if, if this really doesn't work for you. Okay, so for a lot of us as parents that you, you've got rules and um, God uh, have mercy on you if you don't at your house. Good luck with that. Um, we'll see who's, you'll have rules from them uh, before long uh, that they'll be handing out to you but, but if you don't. But um, almost everybody has some kind of rules. And let's say you're trying to address how a kid is talking to one of the parents and you're like, Boy, don't talk to your mama like that, you know. And, and how you can address that 
through the law, there are a lot of things. I mean, the scripture addresses it in the law that you should honor your father and mother. You should. You should be honoring your parents, and you should, um, you should obey them. And, and so that's what the law says. That's a good command for the flourishing of the household, the kid, the parent, everybody. Um, nothing like I, seeing a, a bratty kid that's just constantly unhappy is a sad thing to watch, right? Like it's not even good for them um, to be like that. And so you're like, okay, so there's the law. You're not going to talk to your mother like that. And here's the, you have punishments and rewards, right? So you're like, all right, um, you know, maybe old school granny might uh, wash somebody's mouth out. Um, I, I said that in the past tense, but uh, I was like, hold on. How many of you have had your mouth washed out with soap? Anybody here had that done as a kid? Okay, this is shocking to me. It's unbelievable. You're like, I'm going to go like, so I see a few kids in here, but there are a few of you that are like, yeah, I've totally had it done. Uh, maybe right after this service, in fact. Um, and so you might have wash a kid's mouth out with soap. There might be, you know, kind of a nouveau gentle parent that's like, you give me that phone, young lady, for six minutes, uh, six whole minutes. You're going to give me that phone. This phone's in timeout. And uh, there may be punishments that come with, you know, with talking in a negative way. Uh, there may be rewards that um, whenever they, they talk with respect to a parent, um, you might do like you do with your lab and be like, good boy, you know, something like that, you know, good job that you, you talked with, to your, the person who gave you life um, like a human being. I'm really proud of you, buddy. Um, and so, and so th- those would be examples, like it's carrot and stick, right? Here's a punishment if you do wrong and a reward. And by the way, I think those are good things. Um, it, there, no, no kid in the universe is getting ahead in life with learning to disrespect the people in their own home. So, okay, but here's, here's the thing that's interesting, though, is we can sometimes think if we teach them to respond um, directly in the right tone, which is a good lesson, and, and even a great number of other things, say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, learn to handle their money in the right way. Like if we could teach them to do all the right things, that that naturally means that grace has invaded their heart and they're responding to God and they're happy in their soul and content in Jesus. Because here's, the, let me give you an example. So let's say that you've, you know, washed their mouth out with soap, if that's who you are, or you've taken their phone away for six minutes, if that's who you are, and, uh, and they learn, they go back to the room. They're like, okay, I'm not getting ahead in life like this. And... Good grief, her rules are ridiculous, but Lord knows it's not worth all that drama. And so what they learn to do is they learn, they learn while they're in there in the kitchen, you're like, hey, go, go wash the dishes. They say, yes, ma'am, with a smile maybe even, yes, ma'am. And they'll even talk, man, man, she is just such a sweet kid and obedient, isn't that incredible? And then after they finish getting done and they smile and they say all the things they're supposed to say because that's the rules and that's what they've learned to do is to get along and the punishment is not worth all the grief, then they go to their room, then they roll their eyes and start, because they have their phone uh, for the full six minutes now, they didn't lose it uh, because they didn't do it. They start texting their friends and snapping their friend, whatever, uh, about how ridiculous their mother is and all their dumb rules. And so here's the thing, is the rules can get you some compliance and it's good. It's good. They're just limits. You still through the law can't make that kid grateful and loving and respectful towards their mother. You can't like, there's just limits to what the law can get you. And you can branch beyond parenting. You could talk about something like money and generosity. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we were in Romans six, 
because the law was introduced there, is that you can have, um, you know, Financial Peace University. We, we host that class from time to time. So you, should do, um, you should do everything that Ramsey says to do and go to a cash system and, and, and not spend beyond your means and begin to save and begin to be generous to God's mission in the church and, and do all of those principles. But here's the thing. It's possible to have all of those principles and w- what you're wanting money to do for you is like, man, I got to get this under control so I can spend all of that money in the future on me. Right, and and even when the money is going out of your account uh, towards the church and missionaries and anything else, that you resent the fact that that money is going out of your account and it feels like another bill to LPNL or the mortgage or something else like that. You could be doing all the right things and your heart is not um, worshipful towards God in those things, but rather still self-oriented. Um, because Grace would ask the question, "What were you hoping money to do for you, man? You know, what are you wanting it to do for you?" You know, what's, what's up there? You can, fl- you can flip this into sexuality and you're like, man, um, you know, I'm struggling with, uh, with porn or lustful thoughts or whatever. And, um, you say, okay, well, um, what, um, you can, you know, you can begin with the law to have a lot of things that are really helpful. You should do all of these things, have some kind of a internet filter or reporting software on your phone, on your computer, whatever it is you struggle with. You should have some people you talk to about that. You should have a counselor. Yes. To all those things. But then oftentimes we leave it there and you could not necessarily be looking at something on your phone, but what about how you view other human beings and what you're trying to get from them and even with your mind and your eyes as they walk by, as they talk to you, every, like what addresses that? And, and again, this is what the law says, did you or did you not? Did you say those words to your mother? Did you roll your eyes? Did you um, overspend and did you give? And did you look at porn or did you not? And again, all helpful, those all have their place. Those are not bad, you need those. I promise you, you need the commands are good, but that what we don't account for for is what's wrong with us and where Jesus wants to go is into the deep places to say, man, let's talk about um, the, the fight for authority, nine-year-old with your mother or 19-year-old, you know? Why is it that you can't just be corrected? Why is it you've got to be in charge? It's an interesting question about what you're hoping for by ruling your own life. It's an interesting question, whether you're 9 or 19 or 90. Um, what are you looking for with money? What are you hoping it will do for you now or in the future, through overspending or for saving in the future and through accumulating a lot of it? What are you hoping sex will do for you now? And what are you, what are you looking for when you click that and when you pick that up and when you hook up? Like, what are, you, what are you hoping? What deep needs are inside of you that you think it will fulfill? And has that worked? And here's the beautiful part for you. This is not a sermon beating you up today. This is actually a sermon that's trying to set you free, is who will rescue you from this, this body of sin and uh, this life of flesh that even takes some good principles and then turns them into a dark place. Where God's inviting you into is into the deep things, the deep things of his mercy, inviting you in to walk with them and letting you go to the deep places, asking you why, while you have those principles, while you have the principles about what you're doing with sex and what you're doing with money and what you're doing as a parent or as a child, what I wish I would have done is um, when I was a parent of uh, a young child, which I guess I still have one of those running around, but um, one of the things that's interesting about being a parent of like a college age kid is you just realize I've got no control. Like I've got one nuclear option and I can quit paying for it and that's it. That's all I got, you know, Um, which you're like, well, it needs to be on the table, you know, Um, but here's the thing that's interesting though, is that what I wish I would have done as the parent of a younger child is um, do all the things and have the rules and everything else. What I'm left with now is prayer 
begging God to move and to change and to do good things to someone that I, I don't have all that influence with anymore. I wish while I would have been taking the phone up and doing those other things or whatever the rules are and, and you know, uh, complimenting the good behavior, I wish that I would have been just as dependent for God's grace to break into my children's heart as I am with those rules that you set. All of those things go hand in hand. It's the internet software and it's pouring ourselves out to God and letting him search us. And it's, it's the Dave Ramsey and the principles and it's asking what we want money to do. And it's, it's letting God and the deep things of God go deep into our soul. And that's my prayer for all of us here today is that um, the beautiful workings of God's grace that goes way deeper than start doing what's right, young lady, into open up your heart and live. That's where God's grace wants to take us. Let me pray. Lord, would you let us, let us live. Let us live and that we would be rescued by your grace, that we would press on to know you. Um, Lord, let it be. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.